When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And welcome back to the best college football pick and pod in the land. He is Alan Denton. I am Thomas Black, and we are here with you for another Pick'em Rewind coming to you from bellyupsports.com. Alan, welcome back in. We're through week four. We're almost to the third way point of the season. We're past the quarter mark, so we're making a lot of progress, but uh, some progress going on in the Pick'em contests and a lot of good college football to watch these days. Yeah, exactly. We're we're all the way into conference play now, and um, just a, a lot of great matchups. And you know, this this past week didn't disappoint. It was crazy, um, and uh, this this week is is sure to to bring about some some great matchups as well. No doubt, Alan. Let's go ahead and look back at week four with what I'm going to call a rapid recap. This is the first time we've done it, but we all we are going to do is run through our picks from the week four pick'em slate, give them to you in speed action. We'll get a little bit of a response, and then we'll dive into the matchup. So. Starting it off with my picks, because I came away with 37 points, the better of the two of us. I went 6-4 and four in my picks. The hits were Michigan at a 10, Oklahoma at a 9, UCLA at a 7, UTSA at a 6, Texas at a 4, and Notre Dame at a 1. The misses were Iowa State at an 8, USC at a 5, Kansas State at a 3, and Texas A&M at a 2. But what it did for me was it totaled up, like I said, 37 points. And Alan, I had a 12-point swing with our leader from last week, Tim, and it launched me all the way up into first place in the Pick'em group. So I am coming away happy, but not satisfied because we've got a long way to go, but I'm looking forward to what's to come, sitting in the spot I am up at the top of the group. Yeah. You know, we got to crown you now with many crowns. You reign, <laughs> you reign victorious. Not so fast, my friend. I understand we're at the the early stages of this marathon. You know, like yeah. I said, we're we're a little over the quarter way mark, and it feels really good. It's a solid foundation, but there's still a lot of building to go before this thing's done. Oh, baby, there's there's a lot left. We're we're just now getting to the to the really meaty good stuff. For Allen's picks in week four, he had 33 points, also going six and four in his picks. The hits were Michigan at a 10, Texas at an eight, Oklahoma at a seven, UCLA at a five, UTSA at a two, and Arkansas in an upset at a one. The misses were Southern Cal at a nine, Iowa State at a six, Kansas State at a four, and Wisconsin at a three. So Allen coming off the week, you jumped into the top 10 for the first time this season. You're in a tie for ninth with 140 points. You're 12 points back of me, sir, but it was a solid week. And in the top 10 for the first time, you've got to be feeling pretty good. Absolutely. I'm doing exactly what I want to do. I just keep working my way up the board every single week. I'm a little bit higher, you know, getting a better feel for the teams, getting a little better feel for the board. 
And, uh, you know, hey, I'm my my goal is top six this next week. So let's do it. <laughs> Definitely an admirable goal. But, Alan, I think that you and I are kind of in the spot that, hey, maybe we'd anticipate being. Not that I ex- exactly expected to be in first place at this point, but I kind of figured by weeks three, four, now getting into five and six, that's kind of the point where I feel like we've found ourselves solidifying our positioning as we're getting into those weeks and uh, that's kind of where we are at this point, kind of getting up toward the top of the group. That's kind of what we expected, right? That's exactly right. That's the reason we do the show. Definitely. <laughs> you're smarter when you listen to the show. Of course, we hope it's fun, uh, but we hope that it's a big help in doing better yourselves as a listeners and uh, learning a little bit more about college football as we go. Of course, because I'm sitting in first place, we do a recap on some prizes each and every week. I am the leader in the pack for the first overall prize at the end of the season. That is a performance package 4.0 from Manscaped and a $100 Visa gift card. So, oh, it feels so good to be in first place. But like I said, we're going to go patiently because there is a long way to go. It's a marathon, not a sprint. Right, Alan? That's exactly right. That's that's what we talked about early, early on in our preview podcast. You got you got to churn away for a good number of weeks, man. And so we're we're just now getting started, and uh, it's it's not even moving day yet, to put it in golf terms. We're we're still a good ways off, but you want to be near the top and kind of settle yourself in as people begin to to separate a little bit into to two or three different tiers amongst the. 76, 77 people in our group. Yes, we'll start seeing that probably here over the next one to two to three weeks, something like that, and we'll start seeing that separation. So you want to obviously be in that top pack as we get going. Alan and I are both there right now. We've got to make sure that we stay there here over the next few weeks. Yeah, me much more than you. I think you're going to be <laughs> I think I will be too, but we got to avoid a couple of bomb out weeks as we go, but I think I'll be all right. So, Alan, yeah. as we jump into the real rewind portion of the show, what matchup would you like to look at first after hearing where our picks were and thinking about what the weekend was in week four? How about let's go uh, with the one that, you know, I got right and you got wrong. How's that? That's <laughs> <laughs> That'll make me feel better since you beat me. Um, Man, Arkansas um, over A and M was a that was a a really fascinating game to watch. Arkansas was dominant, but they were clearly not the same without KJ Jefferson, right? I mean that that much was very very clear after he gone out with with that lower leg injury. Traylon Burks was just he was first round kind of dominant, six catches for 167 yards and a TD. To be quite honest, after watching that game, I came away less excited about Arkansas and more just generally concerned about A&M. That that tended to put into concrete my thoughts on A&M, which is that they're just not all that good. I think I see them losing three or four this year, maybe going for an eight and four year, which would be really disappointing after starting in the top five. Yeah, starting in the top five, coming so close to the playoff a year ago, high aspirations this year. Uh, But really, to me, I think you'd probably agree with this. I think a lot of it boils down to quarterback play. Haynes King, of course, went down with the injury. Now, sitting and seeing what we have with Zach Calzada, uh, the offense just hasn't been there. The running game simply hasn't even been as good. I think the offensive line plays maybe been a little bit of a question there, too. Uh, But this offense just has regressed, I think, considerably with the quarterback changeover. And uh, it's going to be some work needed to be done by Jimbo Fisher. 
Yeah, they've they've got to get they've got to get right. And and I I don't know that the answer is Haynes Keen coming back either because he was he was not overly impressive or efficient. So uh, they've got to they've got to figure some things out, like you said, offensively. Now, not, I mean, I don't want to take anything away from Arkansas. That that team is going to be a, probably a, a top three team in the West, which is really saying something. That means you're a top 15, 18 team overall. Um, but I think this said more about A&M's lackluster offense than it did anything necessarily about um, Arkansas. Yeah, I'm kind of with you. I think it said something about both of them, just in the fact that Arkansas was dominant in the first half, really gained some separation, and that was all the separation they needed. But Texas A&M's offense just could not do anything. Outgained on the day, 443 to 272. I think there's a lot of questions about this Texas A&M team. And like you mentioned, with Arkansas possibly being a top three team in the West right now, I completely agree with that. I think you have to say with Texas A&M, at best, they're probably fourth place in the West. Yeah, that's my estimation right now. They they could be debatably even lower than that. But to me, in my mind, how I have the pecking order falling out in the SEC West right now, I would say as of today, at best, I have Texas A and M in the fourth slot. Yeah, they're they're competing for for fourth with with somebody like a an LSU or an Auburn. Yeah, the defense is legit. It's going to keep them in a lot of games, but the offensive side of the ball has just got to figure out a lot of things because some of these teams in the West that can put up a lot of points, right now I have to say that that Texas A&M just doesn't have the firepower to keep up. No, I I I agree. I mean, they're going to they're going to struggle against a team like Ole Miss. They're going to struggle against Bama. That's just that that matchup in a couple of weeks really lost its luster. Even though I saw where CBS is putting that as like an eight PM game, that that it made no sense to me. It will be interesting to see how it all plays out as we go throughout the season. Alan, I'll raise you one. You start off with the one you get right and I get wrong. I'll flip it the other way. I got one right that you got wrong. I took Notre Dame in an upset of Wisconsin. Now, the final score was nowhere near indicative of what this game was. 41-13, to 13, Notre Dame on top. But a kick return for a touchdown from Chris Tyree. Two pick sixes in the fourth quarter really ballooned this score really quick. Notre Dame looked like, on paper, like they dominated this game, but it wasn't anything close to that. No, it really wasn't. That's That was what I'd noted is that that the game was far closer than the score indicated. I mean, it just comes down to Graham Mertz's inability to hang on to the ball and throw it to his own team. Had I mean, that's been a huge problem for Wisconsin this year, and it's cost them both games. They and and really, we talked about this earlier. For all intents and purposes, they should have won against Penn State that first um, that first game of the year. Uh, but they just turned the ball over too much. I think they had four turnovers on Saturday, and that's just not going to get it done against a, a Brian Kelly coach team. Yeah, definitely not. And to me, Alan, you mentioned Graham Mertz. He just he he turns the ball over a bunch, and I don't think this team has a lot of faith. This coaching staff even has a lot of faith in him to be able to win a game right now. 
And yep. on top of that, I think the really concerning thing for this Wisconsin team is they rely so heavily on the run, but I just don't think the rush offense is what it used to be. You know, Ches Malusi, the transfer from Clemson, is a decent back. He's had a pretty good year so far, but I, I think they're averaging something like four yards a carry on the season. You know, it's not like the previous guys they've had in the backfield, like Melvin Gordon and those guys. I don't think they even maybe have as much push on the offensive line. And so I think that adds even more pressure to Graham Mertz, and I don't think that's the spot you want him to be in. No, not at all. Against the, Especially against the good defenses that are going to be able to stop the run or limit the run. Like you said, this is not a Melvin Gordon. This isn't a Jonathan Taylor. This isn't even, you know, throwing it way, way, way back. Um, Ron Dane. (laughs) This is, this is not that at all. This is not that type of offense. Um, So I think it's going to be problematic for them against the defenses that can, that can really just tighten up and um, tighten the screws and stop the run. Yeah, definitely. That was obviously a tactic Notre Dame took on in this game. In fact, Notre Dame was actually outgained in this game by Wisconsin, even though they won the game by 28 points. They were outgained 318 to 248 by 70 yards in the game. And uh, some interesting notes we have to keep track of as we go on through the season. Uh, There was some banged up players in the quarterback room for Notre Dame. Jack Cohn got banged up in this game. Uh, Tyler Buckner, his backup, the freshman, never came in. He was nursing kind of a leg injury, a hamstring, I believe. And that led to Drew Pine coming in, who really did a good job and opened up the passing game a little bit. Uh, But that's going to be an interesting kind of room to watch as we progress into week five with Notre Dame taking on Cincinnati. Agree. And and honestly, I thought that was even more impressive. The fact that Cone went out with a decent bit of time left and they were able to regroup. Normally it takes several series for a coach to be able to figure that out. They, they really didn't take all that long, got it together and um, just really took that game. Yeah. One other note, you mentioned KJ Jefferson and his banged up knee in the game against Texas A&M. I believe what I've heard is it sounds like he's more of a day-to-day situation. I think the expectation is that Jefferson is going to play again this week when Arkansas takes on UGA. So that is going to be one that, again, everybody needs to watch out for. That could have a big, big impact on that game. But I think KJ Jefferson is probably likely to play on Saturday, Alan. Yeah, and they don't even stand a chance if he doesn't play. <laughs> I mean, I, I'm not sure how much of a chance they have on the road, but they they don't even have a snowball's chance to, to win that game without without him. Yeah, I agree with you. So we both took a little bit of humility with those two games we looked at. Alan, let's take a look at one where we both took a piece of humble pie. That was Oklahoma State coming out on top of Kansas State, 31-20. Really a dominating performance from the Cowboys and uh, one that we both ended up on the wrong side with the Wildcats. Yeah, and well, and we mentioned this. We were betting that we would see the Spencer Sanders that we had seen all year from Oklahoma State. And you know what? He flips the switch, and this was by far and away the best version of Spencer Sanders that they've had this year. I mean, he is maddeningly inconsistent. (laughs) I hate picking these guys, but when he's good, they're very, very good as a team. He was 22-34 for 344 and two touchdowns. 
And it, it was just total domination. The game was over by halftime. Most importantly, no picks from Spencer Sanders. And even on top of that, Alan, we bet on the inconsistent play of Spencer Sanders. Like you said, it didn't happen. We also were betting on Deuce Vaughn from Kansas State. And he was held to 22 yards. Now, he was involved in the passing game. Kansas State does a great job of getting him the ball in a lot of different ways. But Oklahoma State absolutely shut down the run. Yeah, they did. I mean, that was a, that was a huge deal. Um, you, you, like you said, only second to the fact that Spencer Sanders had no turnovers and was just quite impressive that game and didn't really give Kansas State a chance um, on the road. Definitely. Another team to watch in the Pick'em Contest because we have the Kansas State Wildcats again this week against Oklahoma. Skylar Howard is expected likely to be out again this week against the Sooners, and that's going to leave a situation between Will Howard and Jaron Lewis to watch because Jaron Lewis came in in this game against Oklahoma State, and the Wildcats found a little bit more offense in the passing game, so something just to monitor there in thinking about matchups as we head into Week 5. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. I, I, I think that's going to be kind of an interesting thing, you know, as, as we look at as we look at them versus Oklahoma. But um, man, uh, they've got to run the ball better. That's for sure. Definitely, Alan. Let's go to one that we both got right: the Texas Longhorns just crushing Texas Tech, doubling them up, Ooh. seventy to thirty-five. You hammered this one with a confidence level of eight for the Longhorns. What were you thinking going into the matchup? And I feel like it has to have been backed up on Saturday. Yeah, it it, it was. I I really like Sarkeesian as an offensive play caller. Uh, I, I think that that he just knows how to he, he knows how to scheme it up. And I haven't been overly impressed with Texas Tech, and and I I think Texas w- was was out for blood, um, and and oddly enough, I I think the game with Arkansas was was more fluky, and I I think they're far better with Casey Thompson, and I think that that was uh, played out uh, pretty impressively over the course of Saturday. He had three hundred and three yards and five touchdowns. They can run the ball, and I didn't think Texas Tech had a chance to stop uh, Bijan Robinson. I mean, he's a first-round talent. And so did I expect them to put up 70 against those guys, against the Texas Tech team that defensively had been pretty good, decent at least, against some subpar competition? No, I didn't expect that, but I, I thought that they would end up winning at home fairly handily. That is a great play by you. I did not have as much faith in the Longhorns after that performance against Arkansas earlier this year. I just didn't know what to make of them. I also had bad memories of Texas going to, what, double overtime against the Red Raiders last year. And I just thought, man, I don't know about this team. I'm not really sure. And what do you know? Texas goes out. They go 10 of 14 on third down two for three on fourth down. Uh, They scored on all five of their first half possessions, all of them touchdowns, plus they had a pick six. They let it halftime 42 to 14. It was complete dominance. Yep, totally over by halftime. Another one of those types of games, which was nice because then, you know, that in that noon game, you were able to really hone in on that Notre Dame game. Yes, definitely. Alan, let's move over to another one that we both missed. Southern Cal losing to Oregon State 45-27. This one was another one that wasn't that close. We were both off on the pick, uh, but to different levels. You were more confident in Southern Cal, and I faded them pretty hard. Golly, I was so wrong. 
Like, I, I've got some egg on my face after this one. It looks like for USC that we're going to ride a pretty steep roller coaster. Slovis had three picks. They turned it over four times. Oregon State ran all over them, maybe even more concerning. 322 yards to only 76 rushing yards for USC. And that was, get this, that was with Oregon State having 14 penalties for 154 yards. Mm. And they still dominated them. I mean, like, that's super concerning for USC this year. Uh, quite frankly, it didn't look like they were focused or really wanted to be there. Yeah, I mean, I, you hit a lot of the points I wanted to touch on, especially in the rushing tack with Oregon State. I mean, to me, Alan, it says nothing but when you talk about the lines of scrimmage with Southern Cal offensively and defensively, I, I don't think you can describe it any way other than soft, right? I mean, yep. you can't even spell the word suck without USC, right? <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh. Yeah. yeah I'm just totally soft. It was bad. Oregon State ran it up, like you mentioned, 322 yards rushing for 6.3 yards of carry. Uh, and this team with Keaton Slovis at, at quarterback, I, man, I, I just I don't trust Keaton Slovis to go win a football game for you. He's a decent quarterback. There's nothing really that wrong with him. He's a pretty good player, but I just don't think he's a difference maker on the field. He's got an awesome wide receiver in Drake London, uh, but the quarterback play, I just don't think quite matches up with pairing with a guy like that well. And all the word was after Southern Cal's comeback win the week before against Washington State that Jackson Dart may be the guy to take over and really lead this Southern Cal team going forward, but he's dealing with a knee injury, and it may be some time before we can see Jackson Dart back on the field. Yeah, they, they need to get him back pretty quickly. I think that was uh, supremely evident. But, I mean, here's the deal, though. A, a quarterback is not going to help them stop the run. Right. And if somebody runs 300 yards down their throat, then they're going to lose a whole heck of a lot more than just this Oregon State team. I mean, kudos to, to Oregon State for, for that win. But, man, that, that that's a big blow to USC. All right, Lown, let's move over to one that we both got right. This one was an upset pick that I gave out as a value pick last week on the podcast. UTSA on top of Memphis on the road, 31-28. This one was wild. I didn't watch much of it, but early on, Memphis up 21-0. And here we go, Sincere McCormick, 42 carries for 184 yards and three touchdowns. All the way back comes UTSA. The Roadrunners win it on a last-second field goal to get the win. Alan, this is one that I told people I was going to have it kind of in the 2-4 to four range last week on the podcast. I ended up pushing it all the way up to a value of 6. I just liked my odds with UTSA on the road even more than a team like Southern Cal that I put as a 5 against Oregon State, even as a fairly big favorite. And uh, I was happy to see uh, UTSA come all the way back. Yeah, I mean, kudos to you for for pinning that one right. Uh, I, I I listened to you and and I I put them at a two. wasn't nearly as confident, but I mean, they were down twenty one to nothing in the first quarter, and I was I was looking at the score and I was like, dang it, freaking Thomas! <laughs> <laughs> um, but man, uh, we uh, we came back and and that was I was glad I listened to you and you had convinced me. So they roared back and and got that win. That was that's a big win for them and it ended up being that that just Memphis just didn't have enough 
uh, defensively. Yeah, really the truth. That's the reason I was so optimistic about UTSA. To me, honestly, I thought Memphis played the game pretty well. Uh, Seth Hennigan is a freshman, played better than I thought he would. He threw for over 300 yards and a touchdown. He kept yep. them alive in the game. And like you mentioned with the 21-0 hole that UTSA faced – looking back on it it wasn't really as bad as the 21 nothing sounded because there was a scoop and score involved there early I think it was the first score of the game for Memphis so it was already it being was. put in a hole with a scoop and score and then it really just snowballed there until UTSA really grabbed control of the game yeah I mean kudos for for them I mean that takes some 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 stones to be able to to come back from from that kind of a lead I mean that you would you would be pretty shaken on the road, down 21 to nothing. So, I mean, that's a that's a heck of a comeback. Definitely. Alan, let's go over to one of your value picks last week. You hammered this one pretty hard as well. You came away with UCLA on top of Stanford, 35-24. And uh, this one was really just controlled by the Bruins throughout. Yep, this was their game. They dominated as I thought they would. Outgained Stanford by nearly 100 yards. Um, had more than 200 yards, both rushing and passing um chip kelly had his team ready to go they responded well and um yeah i I mean i just don't think stanford's all that good kudos alex texted me uh, alex chapman longtime listener um not not a single time caller and uh he he, uh he texted me because he's a vandy fan and said that i think you uh you chose chose wisely on that because they couldn't even stop Vandy rushing. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a, a key element that I looked at in this game as well, you mentioned it as a value pick. You talked about the Bruins liking their rushing offense against Stanford's rushing defense. The more and more I looked at it during the week, I thought the exact same thing, and I took your advice. I looked at the stuff myself, and I liked it even more. I ended up bumping UCLA up to a seven in value on my board. You mentioned the 200 yards rushing. Zach Charbonnet was a monster as he has been all year with 118 yards and a touchdown. And Dorian Thompson Robinson was really good as well, throwing for over 250 and a couple of scores. I, I, I like this UCLA offense and what they have because they are certainly built around the run with Charbonnet and Britton Brown, but then play action and things like that coming off of it. I don't love Dorian Thompson Robinson as a passer as a pure passer but I think he really thrives in this system and he can really take care of the ball because teams have to focus so much on stopping the run yeah I I totally agree with you again this is something I said last week I really really think we've quite underestimated how good Fresno State is that Mm -hmm. I think that that is a really legit team I think they really are too. The fact that they gave Oregon a run for their money and then beat UCLA in that shootout, you have to respect, I think, not only Fresno State, but the fact that uh, both of these kind of top-tier Pac-12 teams, in my mind, have gone up against a formidable opponent. Even though UCLA came up on the wrong end of it, I think it's just verification because they were in a shootout with them uh, that this UCLA team's for real. Yeah, agreed. I, I think that there's there's reason to believe that that they can they can actually win the whole Pac-12 this year, in my opinion. I think they're certainly in competition for it, and I am dying to see how this thing turns out because I think they're a fun team to watch. I can't wait to see how it turns out in the Pac-12 and to see uh, you know, whether they can go through with only a one loss to a Fresno State or whether there's another hiccup along the way, but I like this UCLA team a lot. 
Agreed. And they have the, the prettiest home uniforms in all of college football. Gotta love those sissy blues, man. They're great. Oh, baby. Gotta <laughs> love them. Alan, let's go to the last game that we both missed. This one, Baylor on top of Iowa State, 31-29. But I am fascinated to hear what your thoughts on this game going into it this was my other value pick I told everybody I was raising the Cyclones value on my board from a six to an eight I stuck with it and they lost I lost the points but everything tells me looking back at this game just like the loss to Iowa earlier this year I think I was on the right side, Alan. I think both of us were, and I think we got burned by some turnovers. Uh, Iowa State ended up kicking field goals instead of scoring touchdowns, and a couple of special teams played by Baylor that really set them up for this win. This Iowa State team is is pretty darn frustrating, to be honest with you. I mean, they they have no business with, with two losses, but here we are, right? I mean, you are what your record says you are as, as the old proverb goes. And um, like you said, they, they, they should have won this game statistically, but uh, I mean, outgained them outgained Baylor four seventy nine to two eighty two, and nearly doubled them in first downs. I mean, that makes, it makes absolutely no sense, but here we are 31 to 29 and you lose eight points and I lose six. So, <laughs> body freaking daw, as Chris Farley once said. <laughs> Man, the offense was good in this one. People were concerned about what Iowa State was doing offensively, but Brees Hall went off for 190 yards, seven yards a carry, two touchdowns. Uh, the team averaged 5.4 yards a carry. If you told me those stats going in, I would have hammered Iowa State just as hard, if not a little bit harder than I did. Uh, but you talked about outgaining Baylor by a couple hundred yards. Really, they held that Baylor offense in check. I thought Baylor was going to have a more successful day than they did offensively based off the stats they'd put up in previous games. But I talked about uh, the credibility of the teams that Baylor had faced, and it turns out they weren't prepared to go in offensively against Iowa State. They really controlled this game, but it was special teams that really helped Baylor win this game. Treston Ebner, who's a great athlete and does special teams things all the time, once again did Treston Ebner things. He scored on a 98-yard kickoff return for a touchdown, and late in the game when Baylor was up five points and Iowa State had all the momentum, uh, they punted out of their own end, a 41-yard punt, and Treston Ebner returned it 41 yards right back to the Iowa State 16, where the Baylor offense couldn't do a thing, but they kicked a field goal to make it an eight-point game. Ultimately, what Iowa State went down the field, scored a touchdown, and then had to go for two to try and tie it. He's so dynamic, man. He's so good. I'm I'm actually watching a video of that punt return now. I mean, that was that was so sweet. Um, I mean, like you said, that that kick return, kickoff return for touchdown was what was halfway through the third quarter and Iowa state had obviously just scored to bring it down to five. I think if that doesn't happen, then Iowa state wins that game. So he, he was literally the difference maker. Yeah, I agree with you. And to me, Alan, even that two point conversion, there was no chance because there was pressure in Brock Purdy's face immediately. And he just threw a ball way up in the air, trying to, you know, hope and pray that it was going to be caught. Uh, you know, obviously no good. Baylor wins by two. But if Iowa State had gotten the two-point conversion and forces this game into overtime, the way they were controlling that game, especially in the second half, I don't think there's any doubt in my mind that, you know, there's an 80-90% chance that Iowa State would have won this game if it had gone to overtime. Totally agree. Totally agree. 
All right, Alan, let's jump over to another one that we agreed upon. But man, another underwhelming finish for Oklahoma, winning 16-13 to over West Virginia. Alan, what in the world do you make of the Sooners right now? I, I'm booing Spencer Rattler right now. Right? <laughs> joining in with the rest of the crowd, right? That's exactly right. I'm joining the chorus of angels, booing Spencer Rattler. Um, but here's the thing. We've been talking about this for forever. Um, Daigie isn't good enough to, to make Spencer Rattler in Oklahoma pay. He only had 160 yards and a pick himself. So it just came down to the fact that Oklahoma was at home and they just did just enough, right? Their, their defense played well enough to win that game. And Jarrett Daigie just is not good enough to win West Virginia a big game. It's just, he's just not. Yeah. It's a big factor. And you look at Oklahoma, man, to me, I think there are concerns big time with this offense. And I think at this point it has to be set in stone. I I think you would agree with that. I think this Oklahoma team, there's just no way around it. To me, what we've seen from them in the big 12 for the last four or five years, that massive separation between them and the rest of the league, to me, that separation is completely gone. They might might still be the best team in the conference, but it is not head and shoulders above everybody else. It is tooth and nail fighting to the death whether Oklahoma is better than every team inside the Big 12. Totally agree. I mean, it it is a coin flip. If they are, then it's that's more of an indictment on the rest of the league than it is, a, you know, us crowning them as as some amazing football team. I, they are very, very flawed. They're not overly dynamic. You can you can turn Spencer Rattler over pretty darn easily if you get him moving. And so I have a lot of concerns about them. Oklahoma was held to under 315 yards of offense with 313. They only had 57 rushing yards. Uh, that's astounding compared to what this Oklahoma offense has been in recent years. The offensive line mixed with Eric Gray and Kennedy Brooks just is not doing anything on the ground right now. And I think that's probably the biggest problem with this offense right now. If that's playing different and playing closer to how it normally does, I think Spencer Rattler probably isn't having as many struggles as he is right now. Uh, Yeah, I agree with that. But, I mean, they should have known coming from Tennessee that Eric Gray didn't break a single tackle um, and, and all of his life in between tackles, like he goes down at first touch pretty much every time, unless he can put, um, put that, that leg in the ground and do that stick move, man. Um, unless he's out in space doing that, he, he's just not altogether that good in between tackles. Alan, the last game that we have to talk about from week four is Michigan beating Rutgers 20-13. to And man, did this one get uncomfortable in the second half. After the Wolverines built an early first half lead, both of us had Michigan at the top of our values at a 10. But man, this one got uh, really uneasy as it got deep into the game. Yeah, no kidding. Rutgers scored the final 10 points and should have tied it. We talked about that there are great concerns for Oklahoma's offense. Michigan's inability to throw the ball is going to bite them sooner rather than later, in my opinion. Yeah, and this one, Michigan was outgained at 352 to 275. And when you're outgained by Rutgers, 
uh, I think that's a big concern. And and like you said, I think we're seeing that Michigan does have a pretty good running game, uh, but I do think they have a lot of concerns in the passing game. And uh, like you're saying, I think that that probably is a concern moving forward. I think the question I have, and in my mind, it's a no is Michigan a true contender inside the Big Ten? Because, you know, Ohio State's been dominant, kind of like we just talked about with Oklahoma inside the Big 12. But Ohio State's been there. They seem to be off their normal game. Penn State's been inserted up into the pack. But beyond those two, is there a true contender inside the Big Ten? I I really don't know. Um, I've just not been overly impressed with many teams this year. And, and uh, I, I definitely don't think that that Michigan is is, is going to win it. I think they'll end up losing two or three games, um, possibly as soon as this week. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see. So, Alan, it was quite a week. Both of us went six and four on our picks. There was no one in the contest who had a perfect week. That means the twenty five dollar Visa gift card that is up for grabs each and every week was not won. And, uh, of course, as we head into week five, you're going to get your chance once again if you can pick a perfect slate and get the best tiebreaker score for the total points scored in the game of the week selected on ESPN. So a lot to get into. We have a pick and pod coming up next. That's where we give you a couple of value picks each and every week here on the show. And, of course, you can follow the show at The Blackout Pod on Facebook and Twitter. And the best thing you can do to help us grow is rate and review the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Alan, Thank you so much for your time, and let's get going into another pick and pod. Yeah, boy. Thank you for listening to this Belly Up Sports Podcast Network product. Some said we go belly up, so we made it our name, and we're still here.